Three what? Little piggies. <laughs> three, three ways to start the episode. You're didn't not you? supposed to make me laugh until after all of the cameras are running. Mm. Mm. Well, the center one was running. We've okay. already established so we've, the, so center we're one. the center one is sufficient. Welcome to another episode of The Carmudgeon Show. My name is not hyphen and that's hyphen. This is part of the Haggerty Broadcasting Network. This is the bio. We, we need a, the, to give Mike a clap. Not the God, clap. God, we are so confused. Um, Should we start this over? Deet, deet, deet. No, I think we're on, off to a splendid start. You said you had an idea for how to start the episode. Mm, what was it? <laughs> <laughs> off to a splendid start. I genuinely don't the remember. post-coma... Yeah, we just ate lunch. That's the problem. Uh, who are you? I'm, I could, can we just have a nap? Can this be like the special <laughs> the nap episode? episode. <laughs> yes. Meanwhile, while we nap, everybody should come up with Q&A questions. Talk amongst and, yourself. And submit them to we us. We should do like a live. Live? Like a, well, you have to, to be able to answer people's questions in real time. Well, yes, we just wouldn't answer them. But we histori- or historically, what we did the one time in the past that we did a Q and A uh, is that we had people. We announced at the end of one episode that the next one was going to be a Q and A, and then people submitted them in the comments, and then we, we answered them for the. All right, don't do that episode. now because we're not going. We're not. No, listening. we're not doing a Q and A. We don't. Episode. We definitely don't listen to your comments. Well, mm-hmm. they're not making any noise because you have to read them, unless you're reading them aloud. Oh, so we don't read the comments is what you mean because i said listen yeah i use the incorrect verb okay so i had a thing occur to me there's been a lot of change that checked i did okay i did Uh, there's been a lot of change in society in the last couple weeks Mm. and um and i'm not going to get political but i just had this sort of question pop up what happens if the supreme court outlawed electric cars i think there would be some <clears throat> celebrations from certain regions yep and some big di- dramatic financial problems for other industries mm-hmm. which is the thing whether you like electric cars or not the industry has decided thanks to the government having had done decided it that electric cars are going electric there's this is now viewed as something that is not going to be cha- immutable this is a decision that's been made and the products planning cycles and development cycles are so long that car makers if they're not already completely 100 percent in on developing electric cars are going to be left behind what happens if that goes away well, then we'll be in an environment where mm, the shit has hit the fan i suppose for certain yes. parties um i imagine that's not going to happen this is interesting right this is what i studied in college which was basically the intersection cars being yes a lot the intersection between technology and society society has decided social components meaning laws regulatory environment and what happens oftentimes is you get technical innovation for which regulations don't exist like this is what happened when drones came about is that they were like, well, this lick is problematic and we probably shouldn't be flying them near airports where they'll get sucked into jet engines and cause planes to crash. And like, there's this whole env- like social constructed part of the system, which is the government, 
which has not caught up with technological innovation. And then eventually they do, and then this becomes illegal. Now you need a license. You can't fly here, and you can't fly there, and you mm-hmm. can't do this and that, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but the regulatory environment, and this is also something very much that we studied, which is like, for example, the, the first example that comes to my head is refrigeration technology. Um, we use compressor-based refrigeration because it effectively GE, which was the 900-pound gorilla in the space, put all of their might behind that one technology. And I think there was another type of technology for refrigeration that was supposed to be maybe better, simpler, fewer moving parts, less expensive or something. This is like digging back many Is decades. that the, the plate that gets hot on one side and cold on the other side? There's some sort of French name or something for it. Um, sous vide. <laughs> no, I'm just mm. kidding. <laughs> uh, I, I thought it used a different working fluid like ammonia mm. or something like that. But this is all distant past for me. Point being that the non prevalent or like the not the best technical solution prevailed because of non-technical reasons and the same thing could potentially happen with electric cars i mean i i think overall electric cars are probably a pretty good solution if we're trying to locomote in ways that don't use fossil fuels notwithstanding the fact that electricity is often generated through the consumption of fossil fuels we'll set that aside for a minute but I'm certainly preferred over what are the other leading contenders right now? Fuel cells. I fucking hate fuel cells. Fuel cells enrage me. Um, I don't think anyone on the planet has an enraging relationship with fuel cells. We know someone who does, who worked for Tesla. Who's designing. Oh, oh, he's enraged by everything. <laughs> he's enraged by everything. He knows exactly. Does he watch a show? I don't know. But if, if, you, if, if you're he does, watching. <laughs> if he, does, he knows who, that we're talking about he's him. That he's an angry, he, he, angry he's, um, has strong opinions. I have strong opinions on, on fuel cells. They don't aggravate me. I just think it's kind of, there, there is no way that with the current stand of technology, fuel cell is a viable product for cars. The thing that I most passenger cars dislike about, okay, so the problem that fuel cells solve is a mobility of fuel problem, mm-hmm. effectively. Uh, the thing about it that I hate is that, the, there, well, I guess there's more than one way to make hydrogen. Predominantly... Uh, electrolysis which involves water and electricity you put electricity in you turn it into you you split the hydrogen apart and blah 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 takes electricity to do that Mm -hmm. and then the reverse of that happens when it it turns gets turned into hydrogen that's fuel and then you put in a car and then the reverse of that process happens and then you turn it back into electricity and the car pees on you yes and it turns back into electricity so Mm -hmm. it's like you did electricity hydrogen hydrogen back to electricity why didn't you just put that electricity into the car in the first place you're, instead of losing energy in the transition You're process? also forgetting something else. That hydrogen has, has to, to be, be transmitted well, and distributed. At an incredibly high pressure. Yeah, and so by the time you've extracted that hydrogen and then compressed it to the pressures required to be transportable and in a reasonable volume. And then transmitted it through pumps that are like gas about, pumps but are completely... Forget about that. You've already, by the time you've generated it via electrolysis and then compressed it, you've already spent more electricity to move that car than you would have just putting electricity directly in the car. Mm-hmm. Done. So anyway, that's technology. why I am enraged about fuel cells. And when you get governments full of people who are fucking morons uh, on, the, on. on a that's, wide variety of levels. Isn't that just the definition of government? Yes. A group of people who are fucking morons? Yes. Okay. And are morons themselves in addition to fucking the morons. Sorry. They fuck each other? That's how governments reproduce. <laughs> It's also oh, how they periodically end up with the wide stance issue. Um, 
The Larry oh, Craig Memorial yeah. Restroom in the Minneapolis uh, Minneapolis Airport. That's a physical location you can check into. Is the restroom in which he was nailed? Not nailed. He nailed? was trying to get nailed. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, what are we talking about? We're, we're, you're going to change the subject. Fucking really morons. Fucking morons. Um, Republicans fucking each other in the bathroom is, I think, what you've just said. Yes, correct. And so you can, as a physical location, go check in there. I don't know if it exists on Instagram, but it definitely existed on uh, Facebook <laughs> as a so location to, to check in. <laughs> so um, there's anyway, not a plaque. <laughs> <laughs> this, this marker placed here. Um, is, uh, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, uh, Derek, why don't you tell them what you're talking about? Uh, Larry Craig was a congressman from not Minnesota. He was, pat he was transiting through Minnesota, I believe, when this happened. And he was arrested by an undercover law enforcement officer for soliciting sex in a public restroom. And his defense was that he has a wide stance. Because he was in the foot stall, was underneath his foot the was stall under the stall. Yeah, he was tapping or yes. something. Yes. Um, Fuck. I can't believe anyway, that up. Anyway, government. Government. Well, here's the, this. Is, there's a very big chicken and egg question with technology, as, as I, it's an issue that you brought up, right? Technology can sometimes proceed more quickly than government regulations are set up to, to deal with, or the opposite happens. And when the government chooses a chosen instrument, which may not be the best technical answer, which I think was what happened with the incentives that went into fuel cells. And for EVs. I mean, he, here's the thing. I That's hear a people, provocative statement well, because it implies that EV is not... Sorry, a better I'm technological solution? No, I think I think it is a better technological solution, but the market wasn't ready for it and still is in, to large part not not ready for it. But I hear people say all the time that oh this is never going to happen, this is never going to happen. Let me let me make this very clear. It's going to fucking happen and there's no way to avoid it because the entire world, we don't live in a little bubble here in this country. The entire world has agreed that this is the way forward. And they, I mean, not the entire world. I think there's plenty of countries that don't give a shit and are still burning tires for fuel. All of the automotive producing, producing yes. countries in the yes. world have decided the way forward yes. is electric vehicles. You can debate the merits of all of this on the surface of it or sub sub terrenially, terrenially cutaneously, sub, sub, subcutaneous. under the tongue, uh, which is, Never mind. Um, was that what Larry was trying to get? Anyway, um, <laughs> you can debate. You look. You can debate all the merits of EVs versus internal combustion engines. But at the end of the day, all of the countries that produce cars and the largest consumers of those automobiles have all made the decision together. EVs are the way of the future, and so California puts its mandate out, and it's twenty thirty. They're going. You know, California wants to stop allowing the sale of internal combustion engine vehicles, and people are like, "This is so fucking stupid." Okay. But really, that was a blank promise from, from California because Europe already did that. And it was originally 2025, then 2030 and 2035. We're getting to the point where Europe is moving away from internal combustion engines. And given the tremendous development costs and the globalization of the automotive industry, once one large region decides something, everyone else has to fall into place behind. So yeah, maybe we can have F-150s with gas powered for a couple of years after the EVs come out. Um, or if EVs are mandated in Europe, for example, because F-150 is not a global product. Um, the reality is all development resources are now going to transition to EVs. And we're at a point where there's no turning back, right? The whole world has sort of made this agreement. And again, we can discuss benefits. You can put solar panels on your roof and stop the whole carbon emissions, blah, blah, blah. But, but it just occurred to me, holy shit, there could be a court that would say the EPA doesn't have the 
authority to do such a thing or the DOT doesn't or sorry, we're just, we don't like electric vehicles and we're just not going to do it. What the fuck would happen? Like, just imagine what would happen. I mean, yeah, it would be so counterproductive for the manufacturers who would have to split their resources and not be globally competitive. Well, the entire, I mean, we'd be a, an isolated, we'd be an island, right? We'd be the, an <laughs> island of cars with internal. Again, Again. more still <laughs> right? than we already are. Which is a fascinating exercise because of how many people ask me, well, don't you think that, do you really believe that EVs are going to happen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's no choice. Which is not the answer you would have given 100 years ago. <laughs> well, okay, that's a really good point. 100 years ago, there were plenty of EVs. Yes. 120 years ago, especially. Yes. Gas the f- first Porsche EV was right around 1900. Was it an EV or was it tri- it was a hybrid? Uh, maybe it was a hybrid. You're right. Sorry. But there um, were... So the, the Peterson Museum in LA had a great exhibit. They still might on electric cars. And it was fascinating to walk through there and see all of these sort of 19 teens cars that had 83 miles of range and i'm like wait a second my e-golf has 83 miles of range and there was there was a tremendous amount of progress as this sort of electric versus gas war waged and there well it was like the wild west in terms of automotive technology generally i mean you got a lot of weird stuff that everybody was trying and there's all these manufacturers i mean there wasn't a, le- a legal framework that you had to meet in order to sell a car to the public. You just and made one. so you just made one and sold it, I don't know, f- figured out a way. And then there was all of this consolidation that happened in the, I don't know, I think the 1920s, there was a shitload of consolidation. And you get the emergence of the big three, and which, you know, has morphed over the years as it absorbed at variously different other manufacturers. But... All that to say that it was very much the Wild West. And so people were making EVs. There were people making steam cars. There were people making gasoline-powered cars. Diesel, first diesel passenger car was Propeller Mercedes cars. in 1930, 1930, what? 1936. Was it that early? Wow. First passenger diesel car. Oh, holy shit. And they couldn't put a turbo on that until 1978. It took 50 years to make the world's first passenger turbocharged diesel car. Was it 300 SD? Mm-hmm. Mercedes. I... Yeah read something recently that the Peugeot 604 turbo diesel might have uh, been a contender for also the same thing around the same time. Shit, this fucking French. We always forget about the French. Well, yes, but not in this era, I mean, because they were doing all kinds of wild, crazy stuff. I mean, if we're going to talk about technologies... Oh, don't even start with the Citroën Deus. <sighs> I mean, okay. the thing was a space... It wasn't a car. It was 50 years ahead of everything else. Except the engine. Okay, that was the engine tractor. is like a tractor. If engine. you ever want to convert an old car to an EV, that's the one to do it because that's one of those cars yes. where the so engine people is just. Always, people always ask me about classic cars and EV con- uh, conversions, and I'm like, fuck no. The best part <laughs> of, the, of a vintage car, like a defining part of a vintage car, is the experience of the engine. And to give that up to me is like, I would only do that if it was the only way you could keep an old car on the road. I will, however, say that to, to the point that you just made, that if the motor is like kind of a boat anchor, then okay, maybe okay, especially given how sort of spacey that space age that car is. So let us let us hold court for a hot second about the DS. It'll be a hot second. Well, there will be maybe at some point. A, I would love to do like an actual time. What time so, did we start? I don't know, but you said one hot second. That okay, I give you six. Anyway, go on. Uh, let us just explore the a number of technically innovative features that the car had. Oui, bien sûr. Uh, first. Ever, uh, the first ever uh, disc brakes. 
Frein des disques. Um, four wheels. Uh, so this. Quatre roues. Um, we, we both speak French. We um, can do the rest of this uh, Carmorgion show. On oh fait la God. reste de cet épisode en français. Cet épisode Alors. de le show de Carmorgion. How do you say? You have to say Qu'est-ce qu'on dit Carmorgion in French? I think oh. you just did. Carmorgion. Um, uh, voiture Morgion. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Four-wheel disc brakes. So the oleo-pneumatic suspension. This is, there's full of stuff that sort of resurfaced. Uh, you had the um, the lights that turned with the steering wheel, oh. which we now have. <laughs> Rather ubiquitous in the yes. luxury car market. Um, what other technically innovative features? Uh, the the semi-automatic gear. Oh, yes. Mm. There's a whole... Th- whole thing about the thing that you just yeah the citromatic yeah it is a psychedelic experience to operate i definitely have a lot of in-car video of me operating a citromatic because the thing was so guess we get weird and insert uh, now. I, i will have many many inserts of citromatic <laughs> use um the funny thing is with that car there is an ignition key and the starter will actuate regardless of where the ignition key is turned which means that if you actuate the starter without the ignition key turned then the starter just spins and the motor doesn't start because there's no spark um So you must first turn the ignition key so that you have energized the ignition system, and then you move the shift lever to a position that is called start, and you hold it there, and it's spring-loaded, just like the key in a normal car, and then the starter runs, and you release it when the car starts, just like an ignition key. Uh, and then after that, there is first is away from you, you push it, and then second is to start. So for neutrals, the start is to the left, and then it returns to the neutral position once it's started, and then you push it forward to get first, mm-hmm. and then you pull it towards you from first to get second, and then over to the right to get third, and then once more to get fourth. And this, by the way, is not an actual... There's no physical linkage. This is an electro, electric switch, correct? It's not electric? I assume switch, so. There's absolutely no load on it, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not it's, like you're it's, a shifter. It's, yeah. Doink. Yes. It's very dainty. That is, that is all correct. Uh, and it shifts more or less immediately when you... Um, When you move the lever, and it, then it the clutches, it has shifts. a clutch. It's mm-hmm. a manual gearbox somewhere in there, and it has a clutch. And so, when you get on the gas, it's just like driving a Ferrari F1 gearbox. <laughs> exactly the same. Exactly the same. Um, no, but in the sense that when you pull away from a stop, it's just it does exactly what a Ferrari F1 does, which is you can feel it letting the clutch mm-hmm. out. And because the car is on like oleo pneumatic suspension, it's all very aquatic, and so the car is like, lurching backwards as it's pulling away and. You know, low-speed modulation is poor, and it has an adjustable, you know, PIS, which the Ferrari terminology for, in English, it's point of initial slipping, mm-hmm. which is the clutch friction point, how many revs it's doing. You know, if, if it's too high, then the car is pulling away at 2,500. If it's too low, then it stalls. It's staggering um, that Citroën was able to pull this off in the 1950s when... And I prefer the Citromatic to a Ferrari F1. Me as well. It, like, I functions... Also much much yeah, better yeah. uh and so that was like a another in the long history of weird non-automatic automatic transmissions that goes back of course to the french that's uh, not entirely true but the cotal pre-selector and the wilson which was licensed and used by a lot of french companies but was actually i think british in origin if i remember correctly but those are all very wild to use also there's like a little have you ever seen the little mini shifter it's like this big little manual shift gate exposed gate with a no. lever and you move it around and um just a servo that does exactly the same thing you do or what yes but it th- this was in the era of no synchromesh and so 
when it when you do that, it makes your life a lot easier because you tell it where it's preselector. You tell it where you want to go when you it's a effectively a clutch, but it's not actually a clutch because it's not controlling the clutch. But it's a re- gear change request pedal mm-hmm. on the floor mm-hmm. on the left to the left of the brake, exactly the same not, size, which is not a clutch. Yes, um, it's a clutch pedal that's not a clutch. That's right. In the clutch pedal location, yeah, it's not a clutch. and it looks like a clutch. Mm-hmm. Yes, but it's the gear change request thing. So mm-hmm. once you have moved the selector to what you want the new gear to be then you push on this pedal that's not the clutch and then it executes your request and changes to the gear that you have requested Mm. Uh, anyway so all of that stuff like pre-war stuff is like again no consolidation no like a a, a recognized consensus on how to solve technical problems Mm. it's a lot like in the last episode, we were talking about the standardization of labeling mm-hmm. of switches. Right. The technical solutions, I mean, I guess we still have some variety. We have CVTs and we have dual clutches and we have torque converter automatics. So there's like a bunch of two-pedal driving mm-hmm. solutions that all contemporaneously exist. So back then, yes, you had pre-selectors, Citromatic, everybody, Porsche had Sportomatic. I've never driven a Sportomatic, would like to. It's the same thing as Volkswagen semi-automatic in the Beetle. Where when you press the gear lever down, it clutches, and then you yes, yes, I think it mm-hmm. is the same as that. Have you driven one of those? No, I am very interested to drive a Sportomatic. I, th- I think it'd curiosity. be interesting. Yeah, out of curiosity, as a sort of technological dead end. I mean, right here's here. Well, here's here's the one thing about transmissions that I love is that the manual hasn't changed. Yes, really. I mean, you know, there's a standard been a standardization of shift pattern. And, and, and pedal, pedal placement layout, but that's it nothing yes. else has changed and the refinements to make what the are the better. so weird shift pattern experience do you have any like really wild shift pattern experience i, mean, I have two cars that have dog legs that's i mean for, for the mo- for most people um, disorienting like you, is is probably the weirdest um i've definitely done so bugatti gp car where it the, the shifter was it's right hand drive and the shifter was on the outside and it was a conventional h but it was backwards so one two three four right so yes one is where we would have t- fifth gear now yes I guess exactly fourth gear in a, in a, in a, or third gear actually it's front right yes top right. the other car i can't remember whether this car is also mirrored up and down as well it's definitely mirrored left to right and it might mm-hmm. be mirrored up and down also is the bmw izetta Oh, God. The shift pattern yeah. on the Azetta is very wild. And then probably my all-time favorite is the Mercedes 540K, uh, which has never driven one. a conventional three-speed pattern, but it's a four-speed gearbox. And so conventional three-speed pattern is a dogleg five-speed without fourth and fifth gears, which right. is to say that reverses the top le- left corner, first is down, second, third. Right. And then... In the 540K, the way to get to reverse is not to return to neutral, but to go from third over and then forward. Oh, that's wild. Why so the you... shift pattern looks like a fucking spaghetti. That's cool. Because fourth can only be accessed through third. Because they were like, oh, no, 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 fourth years is too many to access through an H pattern. So we must make a, a way that you can only get into fourth from third. I mean, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. I mean, but now we have go... seven speeds in H patterns and humans have figured it out. So Yeah, really? Until Yeah, to go drive a Corvette. I mean, some of them have, uh, so there's a bunch of seven-speed manuals, and no, none of them are perfect. Um, Corvette is, hold on, is it 911? 911 restricts access to the 6-7 gate. Hold on, what am I? No. No. Can that be? Seven, seven is on its own. Right, it restricts access to the seventh unless you're in the fifth, sixth gate. Mm-hmm. So in your fifth, you can go to seventh. If you're sixth, you can go to seventh, but you can't go third to seventh, which is mm-hmm. actually I, I, reasonable. Quite, right, reasonable, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the Aston was the dogleg version of that, and that's where six and seven are in the same. That was a pain in the ass. Gate. I loved it. 
I mean, I loved it for the challenge and the mental exercise, and I loved the gearing on the car, but um, that was a little bit tough to you to think twice before you let your foot off the clutch. Like, and there was a lot of like, what gear am I in? Exactly. The easiest thing to do is just ignore first, and then you're in a six-speed with you know a, a granny gear below. Mm -hmm. uh, below like a, a Toyota Tercel all-wheel drive wagon. Yeah, they had a granny gear. And the Porsche um, 959. Yep. Where the gears were not labeled one through six, they were labeled G through five. G and then one through five. G right. and then one through five in a dog leg, effectively. It's crazy. Um, but what were we what talking? We're, we're about? talking about dead end technologies because we what we've brought up is a bunch of things that have changed, right? So the pre-selector sort of semi-automatic gearboxes have changed, or at least been refined to the point where they no longer resemble that. Um, but this whole impetus was started, obviously, with the whole idea of what happened if electric cars died because they did once before. Yes, like, they really very did. Much they, so. they were genuinely viable products that were in some ways far better than the gas-powered cars because they were quiet. They didn't scare the women and the horses. Was I mean, some and of their you didn't need a mechanic to Correct. function it because the job of the mechanic, or actually the chauffeur, chauffeur. really, the job of the chauffeur. We're back to speaking French, le chauffeur, the one who warms it up. Oh yes, the heater, the heater. Yes, so the role of the chauffeur was as much to do the 9,461 steps necessary to get the car to operating temperature. It's like a steam engine. Including breaking one's wrist when, you know, when, hand cranking. When you finally reach the step, you know, 9,106, which is the cranking part. Yeah. Uh, but it's like a steam engine where you have to go stoke the fire for four hours before it has built enough steam pressure to actually move off. You know, I just drove a modern engine like that. It's Volkswagen's new 1.5 turbo, and I swear it took four hours on the gas pedal for that thing to finally fucking respond. Really? Turbo lag is the new steam power. <laughs> Sorry. Um, oh, I hate it. Yeah. Um, and I do like steam power, though, as a good 96-year-old should. Oh, of course you would. Um, <coughs> right. So electric cars offered a lot of benefits yeah. at the time. Until the technology, one drop of rain and you got zapped. But what the fuck? You know? <laughs> yeah. Is that what the issue was? I don't know why. Electric, I mean, it's, the limiting factor effectively was battery technology. There was battery technology. And of, of course, there's the conspiracy theories that the big big oil and got together with the big three and you know just made the decision that internal combustion would be. I mean, way. it's entirely possible, certainly hmm. with rail systems that happened in en masse in the middle of this last century sorry last century um that was, that was now, also french oh. now a quarter of a century into a quarter of the way through this century Holy and i'm still shit, calling man. it this century yeah. Yeah. uh but in the middle of last century a lot of rail companies private streetcars and stuff were purchased by oil companies and dismantled so that people would be more reliant on motor vehicles and oil i mean there used to be the bay bridge lower deck used to have train on it did yeah. you yeah, no. so the so the upper deck used to be God. This is so. I'm apologize to everybody who's not been to San Francisco. The upper deck of the Bay Bridge used to be two flowing directions of traffic of car traffic mm -hmm. going in opposite directions, like the Golden Gate Bridge, which right. is you know single deck of share like a normal road, and the lower deck used to be trucks and trains. Interesting. Uh, and there was a train system called the Key System, which went all over the East Bay and across the bridge and into San Francisco. Uh, and then the key system got purchased by probably Standard Oil or something like that and dismantled I so that so people would be amazed by the San Francisco Bay Area had such an incredible rail system. I mean, so in Marin, you cross across the Golden Gate Bridge, right? And once you cross the Golden Gate Bridge, there is no real public transit. There's sort of localized public transit in Marin County. But and there's smart. 
Well, there is a stupid smart train, which is called stupid stu- smart train. It should be called Marin stupid area rapid transit. Yeah, it should be called stupid. It should be the stupid train because um, it doesn't go anywhere. But the thing is, there is no public transit. There's no train or there's subway or anything that goes that connects the city of San Francisco to the landmass that is two two miles north of it. And when I look at old pictures, I, I see there was a vibrant rail system that connected all of Marin and down into Tiburon, which was all, it was, they were there for logging, but you could take a ferry from the city, right, to Sausalito. And, and there was no there, bridge, so anybody going to that area would have to take a ferry right, anyway. But, but then you got on the train, and there were people who lived in Marin who there commuted to the city. There were ferries that had trains on them. It's amazing. Also. It's amazing. And yes. all these tunnels, there's rail tunnels that have been now filled in, now they're being turned back into bike paths. Yes. But you see, you see a, a very clear end of the train era. Yes, which area. was brought about specifically, intentionally, by uh, oil and car companies. God, so fucked up. Uh, yes, very diabolical. Uh, we, this doesn't sound like a car podcast. This sounds like a transit this podcast. This is a transfer, general transportation crap. Uh, and so the landscape has changed markedly. Many dead-end technologies, certainly. Uh, EVs being one of those, which sort of resurfaced, I would argue, because battery technology has made that feasible in the last 20 years, shall we say? Little, Yeah, I'm certainly 10. But, I mean, it, it's interesting. I, I, I do a bunch of research for, for the, the, the Revelations episodes that I do, and I love leafing through the old magazines. And there was one, I think it was like 83 or 86, that had all of the electric vehicles you could buy. And there was, you know, the, there was a Golf, and there was all these sort of like one-off conversion stuff like that they were all lead acid batteries and really even then the you know the editors were like well it's pretty zippy for an electric car to zero to 60 and uh, zero to 30 in 16 seconds or you know whatever these were just in the infancy of batteries mercedes made a 123 with and electric 190. batteries and a 190 also they were i mean the car companies have been experimenting with this for probably the entire time that as they are wont to do i mean many times this has happened in the past like I don't know. Rotary is a fairly good example. That was pretty well commercialized, but it was never really like quite the answer. And it did put an entire company out of business, which was NSU, mm-hmm. which used to make really cool, innovative cars. Uh, there was a lot of experimentation with turbine cars in the 1950s and 60s. I mean, Chrysler has the famous turbine car. Rover did a lot of turbine experimentation. People were trying to race these things at various times also. I saw there was one at Goodwood. Uh, that you know jet engine it, it, mm-hmm. to the man with the hammer every problem looks like a nail and when you're in the dawn of the exciting jet age it, yeah. let's put jet engines and everything that or n- nuclear power plants which I, I, that's an interesting <laughs> one that no one's evaluated yet i mean to our knowledge i bet it was tried lada or something um i mean just the radioactive dude who's driving it because he was too close to chernobyl um <laughs> he's not really generating the power uh, but I love this idea that there were... There they were, did that with... Uh, sorry. They did that with uh, airplane uh, trains and airplanes. Nuclear. Yes. And uh, the um, this is quintessentially representative of the Cold War. But the American approach was like, this is too heavy to shield the crew from radiation, so probably isn't going to work. And the Russian approach was like... Eh, Fuck the crew. Yeah. <laughs> effectively... Uh, there's a lot, lot of people here. So. Yeah, the dispendable, expendable. So um, um, that didn't work so well for airplanes. It works well for ships and apparently and, um, still nuclear power nuclear tubs. submarines and aircraft carriers and all that stuff. But the, the, all of these sort of dead ends, which s- end up sometimes coming back around, 
So we often use the the Cadillac V864 example yep. as a technology, that, or the Autronic I. These are two of our Cadillac example. This because we don't know much about Cadillacs. So whenever we talk about oh, Cadillacs, Cadillac. we have to talk about V864 and Autronic I. And don't forget the diesels. Or that was an Oldsmobile, technically, wasn't it? The Oldsmobile V864. Yes, but they put them in Cadillacs mm. and uh, Buicks. Cadillac was always was has often been at the forefront of innovation and some of them stuck i mean the starter motor was the electric starter motor was a huge benefit air um, suspension although that uh, has always been a sort of peripheral thing but they did that in the 1950s with the elder auto brougham mercedes brougham. the, the brougham. Brougham. Uh mercedes did that but as i love well. looking at technologies that died off and then came back later after they were laughed out of existence and one of my favorite ones is digital dashes I mean, yeah, or like, well, think about laughed out of existence, or just like consumers were they, like, I don't know what to do with this, or they hated them. journalists. They were so. If you look back at period magazine articles, the, the editors of these magazines would bitch endlessly about digital displays, digital dashes, including oh, there was a Subaru XT. So XT has one of the coolest digital dashes that i can think of it's got a little i don't think it's car. possible to choose the coolest digital dash of the 80s one of the i said not the but the i mean the magazine editors just ripped this car to shreds ripped that digital dash to, to to shreds until it was then replaced by a conventional gauge cluster in the xt6 which was the sort of next generation xt um now we look back on it and that xt's dash not only was it fine there was nothing wrong with it it actually the only issue was that it had a boost gauge that was an on off like yes boost or no boost but it, also it, like lag on uh tachometer is usually a complaint is it i don't i mean it depends what you're using the car for if you're going to the racetrack then it's probably problematic but i mean here's oh, not I, that i, I have tracked my I, xt I, or that i have one that xt that i drove did not seem to have lag on the, on the i just think it was the the market wasn't ready for it and the funniest thing to me is okay like a a sweeping uh bar graph bar graph of little bars of lcds fine i get that all right you're what you're doing is you're emulating a sweeping gauge just go with the real go go with the real thing but a digital speed readout every single car i get into so every modern car has almost everything now has a digital dash and i can't think of a single car that even if it has an analog dash doesn't have a digital speed readout and this has been the case now for 10 years and of course you can cycle through all those menus and sometimes you can hide them and whatever i don't think i've gotten to a car in the last 10 years that hasn't come pre-selected with the digital speed readout automatically on the center gauge because the previous person who drove it of course wants to see 54 rather than looking at you know a needle that's a hair below 55 that was the biggest problem people hated that in the 1980s Ford Taurus came out with a digital dash and I just remember thinking it was cool as a kid um, but everyone hated it I don't want to see five five I want to see a needle sweeping now it's not only de rigueur it's preferred Mm. And I find that so interesting. Which probably parallels, speaking of science and technology and society, probably parallels human um, um, behavioral changes associated with digitizing the world, right? Everybody has a cell phone that has the numbers displayed instead of an analog. Now, now sure. people struggle to tell time by looking at analog devices uh, yeah. because we have been conditioned to interact with things digitally. And if you think about what was happening in the 1980s, I mean, personal computers were not widespread yet. And so the idea of interacting with some kind of digital device was very foreign, whereas now it's very natural to us because they're everywhere. And so to have the car be the first place where someone encountered high technology and computers was probably like, this is very disorienting. 
you know, it's even a, if it was better. Yes. Because it's not like that technology wasn't good enough to function and went away and then came back when it was. Because there are plenty of examples. No, no, of those. it was pe- humans. It was the the nut, the dumb idiots behind the wheel right. getting uh, acclimated to stuff. Yeah. And so you have to ask like whether that's the case with other technologies that you know have wrapped around because certainly let me see i think i made a list of things of course you did he's making a list uh cylinder deactivation we talked about that i mean cylinder well, that was also that was, technological innovation right so, so that, execution, that's a perfect example that's an execution of, problem so, so this is obviously you're talking about the cadillac v684 which was a v8 that was able to operate on six eight or four cylinders and not, never operated properly on any, any of them. No, on eight it was fine. Eight it was fine. So what people would, and dealerships would do, because these were genuinely unfixable, was they would just unplug the solenoids so the cars ran on eight cylinders all the time. Um, and now cylinder deactivation is kind of all over the board because the engine management system is smart enough to be able to control for that. And because we don't have gas pedals anymore. Yes, we have the torque request so you watched my know-it-all episode on that mm-hmm. we talk about these things too i, I mean know. that's where i have to or- remind people maybe the origin some of, people of did not watch of carmudgeon is uh isimi's C- cmo being like you guys should record these conversations instead of just having them be lost to the ether that's true. so here we are because apparently someone wants to listen to this shit uh, uh what else oh yeah we talked about headlights touch screens oh the early touch screens the crt the, like, touchscreen like from, buick yeah, riviera buick, exactly buick riviera that's a great one too Observe. You're going to have to find a, a, a oh, yeah, you, that. This won't be easy. You just have to find the uh, John Davis review. Um, Apparently you're doing week. that when we're done. Yes, that was a pretty interesting, uh, the idea. I remember my mom looking at an 87 Riviera. Riviera and we was, she had had it with our Saab. We had a 900 turbo and it broke for the last time, which was approximately the 90,000th tow truck ride. Um, and she was like, that's it. I'm fucking done with this. And her choices were a Buick Riviera or... Um, Buick Riviera, yeah. why? Because we're from, she's Italian and we're from Brooklyn. Was it used or new? No. She was buying a new she Buick. She was going to go, she went to go drive the Buick. And she had children. Thing. Yeah. So she, she was not like us. 900 years old and looking at a new Buick. No, 87, I was 12, she was 37, 36. And the other choice was a Peugeot because there was one dealer in town and it was a Peugeot dealer. And I was like, mom, you have to have an E30. I didn't know what it was called at the time. 325i, you have to get a 325i. And she drove it and hated it. She was like, it's small. It's shitty. There's nothing luxury about it. I'm like, it's not a luxury car. It's a sports sedan. And she was like, and bought a Peugeot 505 STX V6. Hot. Yeah. Better than the Riviera. But I remember thinking like, Those mom. Those are cool what, cars. Can you imagine a cathode ray touchscreen? I mean, yes. <laughs> what a weird collision of technology that is, you think should not be coexisting, but somehow are. It's like the magic era of, of 2000 when cars have cassette players, but also 16 to 9 navigation systems and, and six players, CD yeah. changer. And the navigation system is DVD based. Mm-hmm. So you have CD changer, six CD changer and the DVD based navigation system on a 16 9 screen with a cassette player behind the dash mm-hmm. in the Mark IV Yep. navigation system that bmw produced for example i just want like that. weird collisions of yeah. things that shouldn't all exist at the same time but for a brief shining moment and took up a, a, a huge amount of space and engineering resources in the car to do but yeah I mean, in car a, entertainment a cathode ray touchscreen so you could barely see it in normal like cloudy daylight you had to take your eyes off the road and it was over here it wasn't you know yes like, and all the buttons are the same same size and shape yep and like just a complete, utter disaster. And yet, here we are, every car has a TV screen in it. Yes, now, because we have the ability to make them legible during the day. They're still shit. There's still no... Look, there's a, there's a, obviously a place for Apple CarPlay and touchscreens and all the rest of the stuff. Yeah, but we shouldn't be fucking using it for HVAC. God 
damn it. No, we shouldn't. Yeah, we shouldn't. That v- VW Taos that I had that had incredibly laggy turbo engine in it had actual physical like HVAC controls. And I thought, wow, we should this retrofit is those into a Mark 8. Yeah. Okay, so cylinder deactivation we have discussed. Digital dashes we are currently discussing. But then, discussing. to your point, automatic headlights. I Everything has automatic headlights. That Taos also has automatic high beams and refused to turn the fucking high beams on at any time. It's like the cheapest yeah. fuck. I hate that. I hate it's that. like, oh, this is, high beam use is expensive, so yeah, you can't have any Minimize of it. it. Uh, come, it's like having an accountant come with you when you're like, you yes, know, but the whole reason car. is because you're driving around all the time and these motherfuckers have their high beams on and I just want to get out of the car. I want to pit maneuver them and be like, turn off your fucking high beams. I that love, I love angry, or Eric. or um, Nissan drivers who are driving around with their headlights off. Nissan altogether. and Toyota drivers and also yes. Hyundai Kia drivers. Yes. I was at dinner the other night. One of these like San Francisco has the sides of the streets are now still restaurants thanks to COVID and hopefully they stay this way. But it's great for people watching and car watching. And I think we were probably at 30 cars that drove by without a single fucking light on on the outside. And you could see the idiot behind the wheels getting a sunburn. Yes, from, from the, bright from the brightness of the gauges. But they have no other way of knowing. And then, of course, are the ones with DRLs on. So just, you know, yes. shit beam pattern, just sort of weirdly diffused bluish light coming from the front of the car. Nothing from any other side. Yes. And you think, I was at... I was at it. I mean, it should be illegal. It should be regulated against to have cars that have illuminated gauges. Canada did this. Canada passed a law last year that anything that has electroluminescent or otherwise illuminated dashboard must have automatic headlights. Period. Oh, that's quite clever. Yeah, of course. The fucking Canadians are clever. Ah, we're that's dumb. Good. We just all yeah, because everybody's driving around. They're like, I can see my normally the the queue. If you're an just complete and utter asshat with your head so far up your, never mind. Um, I, I, this reminds me of the the table that I found of compound insults from Reddit, and then they're graded by color by frequency of use. But of course, asshat is a very common one, but you know, shit dick is not. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, we are pushing the limits of the Haggerty broadcast, Haggerty podcast network, and its acceptability for language here. Uh, uh, me for once instead of you yeah uh, you've been on excellent behavior this episode what was i talking uh, about is that better yeah slightly okay. but only slightly um you were talking the, about the people. gauges mm-hmm. the the cue for someone who is so had so far up their asses that you can't see the gauges you couldn't you see the see, lighter in the 1970s you couldn't find the fucking cigarette lighter to light your joint while you're driving unless the headlights were on that was your clue that you were driving without headlights on now you vape out of a pen and get fucked up while you're driving without a single well, light on Well, and like the you said, they're getting a full-on illumination, which is brighter because it's set for daylight, so the gauges are brighter during the day. And guess what? They're too high to notice. And now we know why we need 65 airbags, forward collision warning, automatic emergency braking. It's because no one needs to pay attention to drive their goddamn fucking cars. Now I'm, God, I'm that old man. Uh, I've been that old man I, um... I have nothing else to add to that. I think you've done a but great job. But automatic high beams irritate me to no fucking end. And this yes, is another thing that needs to be legal. Because, because when most of these stupid-ass car companies, they put it when the, when the selector switches in automatic for automatic headlights. When I request a high beam, it thinks I've requested automatic high beams. No, bitch. I want them fucking now. If I push that lever forward and I want high beams, I want them now. And that drives me so nuts in Mercedes products, for example. The only way to get headlights, high beams when you ask them is to move the switch to full-time headlights. Then that switch becomes normal. 
the best example I can give is I was on a twisty back road in a Mercedes product and I'm, I'm, I asked three times for high beam said, oh, fuck it, and pulled it towards me. And the second I pulled it towards me, I saw a deer in the middle of my lane right in front of it. I ABSed right up to the deer who just looked over and was like, you're a fucking problem. I would have actually hit the deer, although the car probably would have auto-braked and done whatever else in a split second. Didn't beep at me, didn't do anything, but I genuinely almost had an accident because that car three times, thrice, re- re- denied my request for automatic, or for our high beams. That should be illegal. Yep, 100% Give me a separate agree. button somewhere else for automatic high beams, but when I move that lever, give it to me now because I fucking need it. Oh, that could, I mean, I, I guess taking, why that... Don't make a meme out of that. Give it to me now because I need it. <laughs> Well, now you've just opened the door to that. Uh, <laughs> it happens, it happens. I mean, yes, that's why the pull for high beams, I guess, is the ultimate last resort. But, but that's a flash to pass feature that's not turning on the high beams. I don't have to hold it there. Flash to pass is, in my Julieta, never mind. Is, is it, are you going profane? Are you back in a no. Minneapolis bathroom stall, you freak? Um Flash pass is what? That was in the Julieta is in the center Sorry. of the steering wheel. It's a horn button. It's what you would think is the horn button is actually the flash to pass button on that Love car, it. which is actually kind of clever because the high beam switch is on the floor. It's one of those cars where you tap cool. yeah, where you tap the button on the floor, not tap the stall. Tap the stall next to you <laughs> for service. Um no, the so you to flash to pass you push the button in the middle and then there's a ring around the steering wheel instead that gives you the That's horn. That's the horn. That's great. I love it. Because you can be like angry and screaming in the Italian you can be simultaneously flashing your high beams and honking, which is a, which is um, harder to do in a manual car. If you might need also to be shifting and steering and honking and flashing Get, and high giving beams somebody the, the finger time. at the same time, right, you just run it's resource <laughs> management. So it's superior Italian resource management to be able to simultaneously flash the brights and honk the horn with sort of your hand, mm-hmm. same part of your hand. And it's on the steering wheel. I mean, this is why New Yorkers are not as nice as the Italians from which we stem. Because we would just fucking ram someone at that point. If you're going to honk the horn and flash the lights and downshift and floor it and give somebody the finger at the same time. And steer around them. No, fuck it. Just hit them. Yeah. That's that's why insurance exists. Right. That's like a... <laughs> just ignore that haggard. <laughs> uh, just kidding. Um... Right. The, um, yeah, that, I mean, that, so if all of those boxes are checked, then it should become a not automatically not at fault <laughs> accident if it's one of those situations that required. Pull up your little chart because it's a, some fuckwad or twitwit who's in front of you with no lights on on the outside of the car, getting a suntan, smoking a joint out of a vape pen, applying like, makeup, applying makeup, sending a text, mm-hmm. um, not using CarPlay. Um, there's got to be other cool dead end technologies. Um, well, so key on this list is, is in the ignition. Oh yes, so this is this is nice because it allows me to talk about Ricardo Montalban, mm. and any occasion to talk about uh, the work that he did for Chrysler is always a pleasure. Uh, but yes, there... <laughs> I'm 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 exercising patience. I want you to complete this thought. What the fuck are you talking about? You don't know about Ricardo Montalban and the fine Corinthian leather. Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah, but yeah, what yeah. the hell does that have to do with? Oh, so he he was Chrysler spokesperson for like thirteen years, mm-hmm. and so of course that means he was Chrysler spokesperson through the like what is the guy the the thing was called the the, the computer assistant in the car thing where the car talks to you. It was the TI ninety nine four A thing. What is that a the c- calculator? Spell. 
<laughs> it was speak and spell. But it was the thing in the car that was like, all systems okay, or, you door know. Door is a jar. How could the door be a jar when it's a door? When I was a kid, that was like, what the fuck is a jar? A jar is a thing that you put tomato sauce in. Why is the door suddenly become a jar? It done holding marinara sauce. What is the fuck wrong with these people? So anyway, in one of the Ricardo Montalban ads, <laughs> to return off of this tangent to another tangent so that yep. we're not on a, tan a double tangent. Double tangent, which would be like an integral or something? Cosine. Um... One of the Chrysler products has that in one of his ads. Oh. That's all that to say. To, and it gets demonstrated. He says, a car that is telling you stuff. It's a car so advanced, it is telling you what it needs, whatever. Engine has exploded. <laughs> <laughs> K-car is pile of shit. I mean, could you imagine? You are currently on fire. <laughs> Wasn't there? There has to be an airplane. Oh. Like, airplane had to do that. They had a bullshit uh, and, light in airplane, or the, um Panic. <laughs> Engine three is running a little hot, and then the indicator yep. light just says a little, a little hot. hot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, the talking car that just happened is some, something recently talked to me, and I was really? like, Honda product. Was talking to you? Yeah. And I just was like, no, 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 hold on. This was a dead end technology for a reason. I don't need this shit. I mm. mean, I don't know what's worse. The cars that are incessantly blung at you, blung, blung. I mean, that's a BMW for noise for sure. The one that you just made. I could do so many of boop, 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 boop. Oh, that one that's is? a Japanese car. No. That's a... Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> Which one is it? Mini. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. Ford has... Uh, sorry, I had the wrong accent in my head. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're thinking of... Which is the Honda lights are on. Yeah, which is H in Morse code. Yes. It's fucking coolest thing ever. But they do it in Acuras too. Yeah, and they do it in Nissans too, because Nissan probably just called the supplier and was like, we'll take that. <laughs> and they're like, H, H, H. Um... There was, and the N sort of resembles an H, if you squint, the letter N. Sure. I can I can get behind that. Uh, Veloster N. Hyundai Veloster N does not make that sound. Um, mm. Yeah. Boop, 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 boop. Anyway, um, cars that blung at you incessantly without telling you what they want is a, is a bad thing, but I'd rather that. That's usually seatbelt if it's not telling you anything. Yeah, speaking of seatbelts, you don't drive a lot of modern cars, but this really fucking irritates me. Um Recently, a Toyota product did this to me, and I noticed Subarus do the same thing. If you start to move on one of these cars without your seatbelt on, and you get a seatbelt blung, it, after like 10 seconds, becomes a double speed blung. So it goes from a quiet blung, blung, to blung, 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 blung. It doesn't stop. Mm -hmm. Even if you stop the car, put it in park, and pull the emergency brake. Blung, 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 blung. You have to turn the fucking car off or put your seatbelt on. I just Even if you're know. stopping the car to get out of it. <laughs> I just want to know what imbecile in, an, in a cubicle somewhere in a fucking high rise didn't realize that if I'm in park with the e-brake on and the engine not even fucking running at that point, leave me alone. I don't need to I'm see not at risk. I'm not I'm at risk. Maybe at risk because I maybe stopped in the middle of the road with no lights on because your stupid idiots who programmed the same thing didn't program the lights to turn on automatically. Yes, but that has nothing to do with seatbelt right. etiquette or protocol. Exactly. What are you going to do? Not fire the airbag next out of spite? That'll be, <laughs> we'll find out about that. 
or the old um, open the door to help you see the curb when you're reversing, and then a car that doesn't have the 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 the, the modern park where it just returns to the zero position and it throws the car into park. You know that I've been knocked unconscious twice in my life, and one was by that. So once I got I hit, in a, this story is so <laughs> Jeff Goldberg hit me in a, with a rock. I don't know if he's still alive. I mean, at this point, in my age, who knows? This kid Jeff in summer camp hit me in the head with a rock, and I woke up with my sister. My, every time I really got injured badly, I would wake up with somehow my twin sister would be over my head going, Jay. Um, and I woke up to her kicking him repeatedly in the stomach on the ground. You don't fuck with my brother. And then she carried me to the infirmary. Um, we were twins. I was like the shortest kid growing up and she was like five inches taller than me and the school bully. Um, so, anyway, that was the first time I was ever knocked unconscious. The second time was a fucking X5. Beyond the X5, I've obviously told you the story, but you at home may not know this. How do I know you're at home? You in the on car. the other side of the screen slash speaker. Fourth wall. Yeah. Um, Is that the fourth wall or third? Fourth. 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 One, two, three, four. Yeah, fourth wall. Um, I was backing up an X5 and I opened the door to look behind. Um, and it, I, all I know is that I woke up on the ground underneath the you car. You should have been wearing your seatbelt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> threw itself in park. And I smacked my head on the door frame. It was the only thing I can figure out because I had a huge welt on the back of my head and I woke up on the ground. Car idling. I have no idea how, in how park. long I was out for. In park. Thank God. But these stupid ass cars that throw themselves in park. I hate it. It's so dumb. Because I, anytime I'm parking on the left side of the street, I always open the door so that I cannot curb my wheels because I hate curbing wheels. Or cars that will now slam on the brakes if they don't. I think Tesla does this. Uh, a bunch of cars that when you're maneuvering, if you don't have your seatbelt on and the the passenger or the driver's seat sensor doesn't sense your oh, weight anymore. Oh yes, so I do this sort of oftentimes because I turn around. Yeah, I, I use the dead pedal. To give myself a little extra lift so that I can see better. Boom. Slam on the brakes. Oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. I hate that. I understand the safety benefits to this. Here, here's the flip side of that. Acura Integra does not automatically, and I couldn't find it in a menu, does not automatically turn on the parking brake, the electric par- parking brake. And a couple times I almost rolled away in that car because I'm so used to cars with EPBs, uh, electronic parking I brakes. I want them it. to go on when I say... I, me too, but the problem with that one is if you do a quick pull on the EPB, it ignores you. So you have to do a really <clears throat> like half a second or more extended pull, and then you're listening or looking for yeah, an LED for the um, <laughs> that it makes. Bless um, you. <laughs> sorry, I'm just a little constipated. Um, yeah, I, there's just you know what worked really well: a manual <laughs> parking yeah. brake and a manual transmission. Because you know you know what's going and on. Carburetors and cable brakes. Mm, fuel injection. Greater than carburetors. I know, I know. I'm just carburetors are dead technology. Can you imagine carbs came back? No, instead we replaced carbs with carburetors with carb. California Air Resources Board. But we did replace direct fuel injection with indirect. Throttle body. With, thro- with no. Oh. Uh, Mercedes went to from direct to mechanical sequential, then to continuous fuel injection. See it. K-Jet, then to like Motronic, which is sequential again, and now back to direct, to direct injection. Back into the so cylinders. That was another dead-end technology, direct injection. Yes. I mean, it was probably used continuously in airplanes. Mm-hmm. But yes, cars, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't 1950, know. 1950, what year did the going for? 54. 54. Mm-hmm. 1954, direct injection. Mm-hmm. Never done again until Mitsubishi did it in 99, I think. Their GDI. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Something I like mean, ca- uh, Why don't you read Wikipedia? Huh? I bet Wikipedia I will. knows. I will. will. will do I'm going to change it. Um, change and Corvette, of course, has mastered uh, dead end around fuel injection. 
because fuel injection was available on early Corvettes, starting from 1957, uh, as an option, and then it uh, was dropped in 60, after 65 model year, uh, because the big block came out. Mm. This is me knowing, this is the one thing I know about Corvettes. Uh, this So the C2 Corvette came out for 63, that's the first Stingray. It had drum brakes and was carbureted and was a small block. And then in 1965, and with the option, the hot, the hottest motor you could get was the fuel-injected version of the small block. Huh. Uh, and that was still available in 65. Um, and then at that time, they also had the big block was introduced for the first time, I think, 65 or 66. 65, I believe. 396 cubic inch big block. And then it was the 427 from 66 and 67. Uh, and the small block with fuel injection was more expensive than the big block and it made less power. And hmm. so there's only one year where they were simultaneously a, an injected small block and a big block available because everybody bought the big block. And so a fuel injected 65 Corvette's very unusual. Uh, and then you could also get uh, disc brakes. So there is w- exactly one year. Disc, disc brakes were standardized from 65. So in 65, you could get, an, that's like a very weird unicorn specification would be a small block fuel injected disc brake. 65 Corvette, Corvette. Mm. Uh, and then they were all and then there was no fuel injected Corvettes again until the C4 came out in 84 so they wow. had fuel injection and then dropped it and didn't bring it back for another 20 years I just thought of something else that Corvette had left on the table forever oh uh, overhead cams in Corvettes ah. one once oh There's yes the ZR Wean the ZR1 ZR Wean uh, I was going. I was. Just, I was say. I was thinking faster than I was speaking. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then quad cam, quad cam, overhead cam, V eight, back to push rods. I mean, if you would have told me thirty years ago that my favorite V eight at the moment, at you know, in in the year twenty twenty two, would be a cam in block push rod motor, I would have laughed at you. But go go figure. The LS became the winner. I mean. How many naturally aspirated V8s still exist? Lexus. Uh, uh, Hyundai has the Tau, the 5-liter Tau. I think that's still into production. Um, Toyota's got... Oh, all GM. Well, okay, so GM, all the, all the American car companies. And Ford doesn't have... I think Ford does have a push rod for the trucks, but they're all... all, all the, I think all their... What about the, the Coyote? Coyote's overhead cam. Yeah, so I mean, Ford's V8s are all... Naturally aspirated. All Ford's naturally aspirated V8s are all over at Cam now. But there's... So the three American car companies have naturally aspirated V8s. Toyota, Hyundai, Kia. BMW does not. None of the Germans. Mm-mm. They've all gone to the thing, the two... The technologically three, superior. Thing. Two, three, four. Um, two liters. Yeah, two, three, four liters. CC. And four, six, eight cylinders. All four cylinders are two liters, all six cylinders are three liters, and all eight cylinders are four BMW. liters. BMW is V8, still 4.4. Four. Is it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, well, that the, seems to be working brilliant for them. And the V12 is 6.8, in the, or 6.6 six and 6.8 in the um, Rolls Royces. What is a 760 motor? 6.6. Six. Six. No, hold on. Six. Oh, I'm supposed to know this. I'm not. I don't remember. But I know it's. A, I think it's. I a don't B68. give many shits about this topic. It's either sixty six or sixty eight in the Rolls Royce. Um, it's supposed to be the six and three quarters, so it should be six eight. I don't. They, do you really think the Germans care about that? I mean, I Bentley they did. had a six and three quarter liter push rod one up until a couple of years ago in the Mosan. Mm-hmm. Um, That's an all time great motor, as long as you don't mind forty two hundred RPM only and, and twenty thousand miles before it wipes the cam lobes. 
Um, the early ones aren't like that. <laughs> uh, you know what? We need to do. We need to go find. Uh, this is a total weird aside. I don't know. We're probably almost out of time, but we can talk about this another time. I just drove that Integra Type R recently, and I was thinking about this. The Integra Type R was a B18C5, so it's a 1.8 liter uh, VTEC motor. Spins red lines at 8,500 RPM. Spins the nine grand. Um, makes 200 horsepower PS or thereabouts. 195 horsepower. That's an impressive specific output, right? That equals exactly the Toyota 2ZZGE that's in the Lotus Elise. 8,500 RPM, 8,000, I think, in the Toyota products, 8,500 Lotus, 1.8 liters, 200 horsepower. Hmm. Think about that. They were like direct competitors. I never really thought much about that. That's weird because you consider, like, culturally, the Honda motor is considered to be much more sort of exciting and inspiring as a product. And the interesting thing when I drove that ITR was that actually it's very much like the 2ZZ was that if you don't shift at the limiter, you fall out of VTEC. On the next mm. gear. So the gears are widely, especially one, two was widely spaced enough that if you're not, you know, at redline or above it, you kind of fall out. Um, mm. And that was it's the like big criticism. getting into a boost trough. Mm-hmm. Like that Taos, that Volkswagen Taos. Oh, just perpetually behind the boost curve. Yeah. So what they happens? call this the power curve in airplanes. Um, but there's a power getting behind on the backside of the power mm. curve where you just get stuck in this situation where you don't have the oomph that you want to spin the engine up to where you need to get the oomph. Yeah. So this, uh, this Taos, which is actually quite a, quite a nice little SUV is a 1.5 liter. that makes hundred and I think 53 or 156 horsepower. It's not a lot, but Taos effectively replaced golf and it's huge inside and it's quite good looking and it's mostly Mark that 7 replaced stuff. the golf. Yeah, golf God, is I hate US. this when they have these cars that get replaced by SUVs. It always throws me a curveball. But it went from a you know a, a 1.8 T down to a 1.5 T. It's a, I believe it's aluminum because it's based on the old Jetta 1.4 T block E8211. I think that engine code is. Um, is this and, the one that got twin charged? No, uh, the, there, there was, was a one four twin charge in Europe. Yeah, is that the same motor? Uh, probably wouldn't surprise me if it's probably an earlier generation of that same aluminum that's one of those weird technologies that i always enjoy well that will be a dead end when volvo stops doing it because now all the volvos are twin charged um somebody else does it right now it was volkswagen with a six cylinder an inline six audi jaguar mercedes and jaguar jlr yes jaguar does it it's not a supercharger that's an electric is it jaguar ingenium the the ingenium straight six yes um I believe I it is both turbo and supercharger. Mercedes Mercedes has an electrically driven supercharger. That's the Audi has an electrically v- driven turbocharger. Hmm. Um, but anyway, this house, what, what happens is, imagine you Wait, put Wait, electrically your, driven turbocharger? How hmm. is it a turbocharger if it's electrically driven? It's a turbocharger, of but exhaust. it's got winding on. It's still driven by exhaust, but it's got windings on the shafts that you can use electricity Holy to Holy shit. It's a fucking genius thing to wow. do because... You can then harness that electricity when you don't need the boost. So you can oh, have a lot of a flow. that's a generator. Ding, ding. That spins 100,000 RPM. Holy shit. That I mean, just it doesn't put blew out my mind. Yep. We're going to have to have cleanup afterwards to pick up all the pieces of my cere- cerebral material. Holy shit. <clears throat> well, to bring you back to Earth, Taos. Perfect example of how to do something wrong. Let's <laughs> say you add 30% throttle off the line. What invariably happens is the car starts because it's turned off. So you get a really quick start, fire, transmission engages the gear and you take off in first and you get this big exponential ramp like a sort of oh this is the thing on the test drive it's peppy honey yeah but the problem is they even in sport mode they program to to short shift so in this in the case of taos you get a quick boost build that's a huge hit 
right as it's about to shift. And so it'll typically, uh, the car that I had was front wheel drive, break the front wheels loose, even when you're at like 20 or 30% throttle. So you get this big exponential rise followed by a traction intervention and a short shift out of the boost range. So you get your head goes back and then forward and then it's out of boost. And then you get, and as soon as the boost hits in second, you get head flung back and short shifts in a third every gear so how many of them are there eight <laughs> so, yeah. which is not a lot in monocars but you just yeah but that's like a lot of times to have that happen in, in succession you put, what happens if you mat it will it run through the yeah, boost then it runs through the boost but the thing is you're just trying to keep up with traffic and when i'm giving when the right pedal is a torque request pedal this should be sorted out so that when I give 32% throttle, you get, get linear, a linear yes, 30% of the car's maximum right. accelerative Don't ability. Shift in in if you know, and of course the computer knows this, that in the next year it's not gonna be able to it not gonna have boost. Or even worse, if you're going up a hill half the time, not only will it start, it'll it's shift and then run out of boost, but won't have enough power off boost to even maintain speed. So you start back slowing down and down, then you do it again. And then it downshifts and does it again. <laughs> To which I say, you know what? Electric cars are a better solution. They were a dead-end technology, but this Rube Goldbergian complex bullshit of turbocharging and direct injection... And, and 9,000 gears in the gearbox. ...is all unnecessary. Just give me a fucking electric motor so I don't have to deal with my neck snapping. Yes. I mean, I fundamentally agree that internal combustion is really pleasurable but if it's good internal combustion if it's not good internal combustion then i might prefer to have no combustion just give the people solar powers on their roofs and electric cars so that there's more gas for us to burn in muras and volkswagen chiracos yes i have i've said this i'm sure before but i believe that the experience offered by combustion is too pleasurable for it to be wasted on people who don't are driving Priuses in cars that aren't, aren't yeah. That yeah. Car, if it's right. not giving joy, then it should not be used. What a petroleum. wonderful world would that be? Can you imagine the emissions reduction that we'd get if all of the people who just don't give a shit about driving and noise and whatever else in their transportation duties were relegated to genuinely, genuinely zero sum carbon things, and we got to make all the noise and pollution? Yeah, I mean, it, it is be. it is it is too precious to waste in a shitbox well let's talk to the supreme court and have them outlaw oh, for fuck's sake <laughs> they'll have us both shot on the spot or lynched or whatever struck or aborted yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i was trying to not aborted back. not aborted. sorry they can't abort it's too late they'll be sorry they... no more abortions after you're 94 years old uh, the worst and then okay. we're back to the beginning of the episode we've done a complete circle about dead-end technologies and dead-end abortions that then resurfaced just like the topics of this episode. Great. So that was another episode of The Carmudgeon Show, a podcast brought to you by the Haggerty Podcast Network. That was cool. I just lip synced to your thing. <laughs> uh, stay tuned next week. Uh, when is this episode living? Uh, we don't even know when this episode is airing, but it we think... It goes live a week after, two weeks after the 11th of July. What happens the week after the 11th of July? I don't know. There's Doesn't another episode in the can. Oh, God. I can't keep track of this. I think this is episode 200 million. Um, we should have like a thing on the screen that says like episode number. Because I always got to figure this out when I make very, the thumbnails for... That sounds very movie. high tech. Mm-hmm. Sounds, sounds All difficult. Right. Until the next one. Until episode 5,653,523. Three.
Oh, that was wet. <laughs> As my dad says, get any on you?